to welcome everyone um, to the meeting here today. And first of all, I'd like to um, start with Sami Ramadani, who is uh, an Iraqi exile and also writes a column for The Guardian. So I'd like to welcome you to speak to Ramadani. Today I was uh, reading uh, a little item, I don't know if you saw it in the papers, that 83% uh, of US soldiers uh, in Iraq uh, believe that they are there because Iraq was involved in 11 September, and that's why they are uh, in Iraq. Um, about 25% only thought that they were there to bring democracy. So they've got at least one thing right. But it's quite frightening that 83% of them still think until today that Iraq had something to do with 11 September. A good 60% of the American people also think until today that Iraq had been involved in 11 September. Now, if you read uh, President Bush's speeches, he never said that. If you read all the leading neocons and the main propaganda organs, none of them actually accused Iraq of 11 September. So how can 60% of the population believe that Iraq was involved? I'm mentioning this because I'm really struck by the power of suggestion, by the power of subliminal passing of information which is becoming an art that has been adopted quite systematically by politicians and by, uh, by some in the media, I would say most in the media. So if you read a, a typical George Bush speech, speech after 11 September, he would start by denouncing uh, the Terrorist Act, that it was Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda and so on, and uh, will proceed on that line. And then he will talk separately in the next paragraph about Iraq, about the dangers of weapons of mass destruction, about uh, links that might happen in future between terrorism and the regime and so forth. And you begin to unravel how and why the American people gradually start making associations because you need to be uh, quite involved, uh, go and do a lot of research to decipher these things. But if you are bombarded with that day in, day out, day in, day out, then a lot of, a lot of it starts sinking in subliminally and through the drip, drip effect. And what's happening in Iraq today is a very similar process. Just like, just like they convinced large sections, <coughs> the majority of the American people and large sections here, not by no means a majority of the population that Iraq posed a danger to, uh, to the world and that sh they should invade Iraq. Today I think they are succeeding, unfortunately, in convincing us that the Iraqi people are hopelessly divided. They are divided in such a way that they are prepared to kill each other on mass scale. And unless the occupation forces stay in Iraq, then there will be a big bloodbath that cannot be stopped, uh, the consequences of which will be probably millions of deaths in Iraq and in the region in general. So people who are against the war, 
were against the war still are against it. People who, uh, who are against the occupation of, of Iraq would immediately pose and think, is that a real possibility? With the constant news coming from Iraq that uh, there is sectarian killings, uh, there are uh, mosques belonging to Shia and Sunni and so on being destroyed, and with the last incident in Samarra with the blowing up of the, uh, of the shrine, uh, of the big shrine in Samarra, uh, people began to talk about civil war already happening and not a question of time. Now, I, I don't pretend that there are no sects in Iraq or there, are, there is no sectarianism in Iraq. Of course, there is. But I tell you this, and I know Iraq very well. Iraq is not a hopelessly divided people. The Iraqi people, in their majority, have been, and I, I strongly believe still are, very tolerant of each other's religions and sects. This golden dome in Samarra, is bang in the middle of a Sunni town. This is a Shia, mainly Shia shrine, and has stood there for 1,200 years in the middle of a Sunni town, protected by Sunnis. It is the main feature of the city. For 1,200 years, nobody touched it. It has never been guarded. There has never been guards on, on churches in Iraq, mosques, places of worship. You don't see a card, uh, guards on these places. When we used to walk in the streets, our families used to tell us, if you find a piece of rubbish near a church or a, or a worship place, even though I come from a very secular family, half of them are atheists, they used to tell me, you respect these places, you pick up the rubbish when you walk around there. <laughs> and this is a society that has been like this for many hundreds of years. That is why there are many religions in Iraq, many sects, many nationalities. There has never been a history of communal infighting. There has been a history of repressive regimes, of dictatorial regimes like Saddam Hussein's. There has been a history of, of the state repressing the people, whether the Kurdish people, whether uh, uh, religious sects, but amongst the people there has not been such a phenomenon. And the United States, and I think this is unraveling quickly now, the United States faced with a, a very, very powerful opposition to their presence in the country, have resorted to the only tactic that colonial powers and occupiers have adopted through the, uh, the centuries, and that is to try and divide the people facing them. If the Iraqi people had genuinely welcomed them, they would not have done any of this. They would be holding, Bush and Blair would be holding press conferences every week in Baghdad, boasting about their achievements in the country. But the truth is that the Iraqi people rejected their presence from day one, overwhelmingly so. Whether Shia, Sunni, secular, <coughs> atheists, you name it, the overwhelming majority rejected their plans, rejected their schemes. They, some say that the United States and Britain had no plans for Iraq after the occupation. This is a lie. They had many plans. I was um, among hundreds of people uh, in exile who were approached to join all sorts of committees that were being set up in Washington and London. The, uh, the State Department in Washington was paying hundreds of Iraqis to attend and, and, uh, and uh, 
people committees uh, about oil, about education, you name it, they had a committee and a policy for But all this collapsed because the people opposed their presence, because at every turn the Iraqi people rejected that occupation. They did not like Saddam's regime, but neither did they like being so-called liberated by armies that starved them for 13 years of sanctions. The sanctions bit very hard inside Iraq. According to the UN, half a million children died in those, in those years of sanctions. The association the people make between their death, destruction, and misery inside Iraq, the association they make is between the United States, Britain and Saddam's regime. They did not favor one over the other. They saw them as in the same cup and justifiably, justifiably so. Now, there are lots of uh, attacks currently on mosques in, uh, in Iraq and there are lots of sectarian killings. But one thing which uh, attracted my attention, and I wrote about it immediately, I was watching live footage of coverage from Iraq uh, following the Samarra bombing a few days ago. And there, were, there was live coverage on many satellite stations of demonstrations across Iraq, spontaneous, extremely angry demonstrations about the bombing of the, uh, of the shrine. And they were demonstrations by both Sunni and Shia because the shrine is also sacred to Sunnis, by the way, and you don't read that in the press, obviously. Um, so uh, uh, no Sunni would, would, uh, would go and, uh, and blow up such a shrine. And these dem angry demonstrators were chanting slogans against the occupation. They were accusing the occupation of the bombing in Samarra. Nobody had evidence of it. I don't have evidence of it. But this is the popular instinctive reaction of the people in Iraq. They don't accuse each other sects of such outrageous acts. They spontaneously go down to the streets burning US and Israeli flags. And this happened immediately after the bombing in Samarra. The instinctive feeling of the people is to stretch their hands and go into mosques for joint prayers. Very few papers, I don't think any paper, in fact, reported the fact that the uh, Muqtada Sadr's people and so on went to Sunni mosques and they held joint prayers and so on. There are all sorts of activities now happening in the country, which is absolutely the opposite of what the press is reporting today. They are trying to convince the readers that it is Sunnis killing Shia as a general phenomenon, communities and Shia killing Sunnis. I have been looking into this day and night for the last few days and for, for months now. There is absolutely, I assure you, no evidence of this. It is all pure speculation. There are gangs that, that of masked men who go around killing people. There are masked men who go around attacking mosques. But why didn't those angry demonstrators who are supposed to be the people most upset by the, by the bombing, why didn't they accuse the Sunnis or attack the mosques? Why would it be these secret gangs going around uh, uh, doing that? Why hasn't it expressed itself in any popular forum to speak of? 
Why is it that all the Sunni leaders are praising Muqtada Sadr, a Shia leader, for all his efforts? While I opened even the Guardian that I write in, and it says the Mahdi army of Sadr is carrying out most of the killings. It is absolutely uh, outrageous. And I tell you, there is a reporter also in the Guardian. His name is Michael Howard. You would say he's somebody from Britain who went and he's reporting from, from Iraq. He is actually Iraqi. His father is Kurdish. His name is Howard. He was a friend of mine, his dad. Here he was in charge of all uh, Kurd Kurdistan Democratic Party uh, organizations in Europe and the United States for many years. I worked with them closely in defense of the of the Iraqi people. We parted ways politically because he chose to ally himself with the United States eventually. Uh, and he is his son. He went changed his name slightly. He became. Uh, the readers should know that. They should know that they, they, he is somebody who is resident in Kurdistan, resident in Erbil. These are relevant facts for the readers. He should not pretend to be some independent observer. He's a supporter of the KDP and especially of the PUK, a Patriotic Union of Kurdistan led by Talbani. And a lot of reporting that goes uh, for factual events is speculation, pure speculation. He says that the Mahdi army did it. He has no, no evidence for that. Uh, Many other, all the other papers talk about uh, Sunni extremists doing that or Sunni insurgents doing that. The Guardian's editorial of the same, uh, the next day talked about Sunni insurgents carrying out the act. It doesn't say suspected, it doesn't say alleged, it doesn't say claim, it's a factual report. Where is the evidence? All their reporters are actually dealing with speculation. If I were to write something, they say, where is your evidence? None of them are required to produce evidence. And the one thing they don't report is what the Iraqi people feel, what the Iraqi people say in the streets, that they suspect the occupation. I have no evidence to give you. What I have evidence of is the presence of death squads in Iraq, trained uh, uh, at Fort Bragg in North Carolina and sent to Iraq. These death squads are special US forces and the Pentagon has admitted their presence in Iraq. Who are they killing? I can't find out. But the, there are hundreds of academics who are dying in Iraq, <coughs> getting killed and assassinated. Hundreds of scientists, doctors for the first time are being targeted. Either killed or you flee the country. Why? Uh, there are these death squads. There are six militias, according to the Wall Street Journal, one of them is very big, 10,000 strong, led by a former Saddam general by the name of Adnan Thabit, uh, fully trained, financed by the, by the United States. He's an ally of somebody called Iyad Alawi. Uh, uh, one of uh, the Pentagons and the United States uh, men, men in Iraq. There are these private, and there are up to 50,000 foreign mercenaries. Uh, from apartheid days in South Africa, from Chile, from Serbia, from many, many parts of the world, right-wing 
gangsters I would call them who were recruited to go to Iraq. What are they doing in the country? Samarra, again to go back to Samarra and I will try and finish uh, in a minute. To go back to Samarra, Samarra was under curfew on the night of the bombing from 8 p.m. U.S. forces and Iraqi forces were surrounding the city. Uh, from 8 p.m. till sunrise, it was under curfew. 45 minutes after lifting the curfew, the explosion happened. It destroyed the, uh, the dome. But according to one Iraqi minister, now in the government, it would have taken an expert's team 12 hours to plant those bombs, to destroy it in such a, in, in such a fashion. Uh, the guards were uh, actually locked up. If there was uh, some group of terrorists in a hurry, they wouldn't nicely tie up the guards and put them in a room and go and plant the bombs and make sure they don't get touched either. I will, I will finish by saying that with every passing day that the occupation forces stay in Iraq, the situation will get worse in Iraq. The United States is building political forces financed to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars on the on sectarian basis. They are creating sectarian structures and organizations in Iraq. With every passing day, this will get deeper because they are trying to divide and rule. And the conflicts within Iraq will get sharper. The majority of the people, I think, will eventually uh, uh, unite against this occupation, but the longer they last, the more death and destruction. It is not their withdrawal that will cause the problem, it's their presence which, which is creating the bloodbath. And it's with your... And it's with your effort and the effort of the peace movement across the world, American public, British public, we have to act faster and see through the lies and try and help the Iraqi people to build a better future. Thank you.